That's crazy. All right, you guys ready to roll? I was born sure. ready. Let's do it. What's the buzz time? It's Thursday nights, 4 p.m. in Los Angeles. It's 2.30 in Anchorage, Alaska. And in New York City, it's 7 o'clock. Hello, everybody. I'm Angelo Mad Dog DeCipio, and this is What's the Buzz Popcast. Yes, we are America's only podcast, and we've got the copyright to prove it. Tonight, a very special show and a very special guest. And I welcome yet another co-host tonight. Let me get into that right now. First of all, how are you guys tonight? Jeffrey Mark is my special guest, and Melissa Black is my new co-host tonight. How you doing, Jeffrey? Fit as a fiddle and ready to get you in trouble. Absolutely. And Melissa, I am calling you the Arctic Wolf. You are up near Anchorage, Alaska, and I'm talking about 75-degree weather, and you're talking about your first snowfall. Craziness, craziness. Welcome yeah, it's to the like show, 25 Melissa. degrees here. 25 degrees, you're killing Thank you. me, lady. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So listen, are you a little nervous? Are you okay? we got a small um, audience. I'm good. Tonight. There's only going to be about 600,000 tonight. That's what that's what our, our I'm radio good. numbers forecast, about 600,000 tonight. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. I'll sing six hundred thousand songs. Everybody gets one. Absolutely. Let me tell everybody about my special guest. As I said, he is my twin brother from another mother. I love having Jeffrey Mark on the show. He is. uh, Let me tell you just a little bit about him. Critics call him the the smartest guy in show business. He's like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Of show business. I think you've been called the Encyclopedia Britannica. You've been called a, a walking encyclopedia of showbiz history. Uh, you're born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, hey, USA. Uh, raised all over the place. Uh, and they say <laughs> born in Brooklyn, but raised all over the country. And Jeffrey Mark has literally, and I mean that I know this man, so I know he's not bullshitting. He has literally spent his entire life in one form or another in show business. He's been an off-Broadway actor. He's appeared in Summer Stock. He's been a singer, stand-up comedian. He's written stand-up comedy. He's performed in nightclubs, cabarets, as well as cruise ships. Jeffrey is the proud recipient of an Emmy Award and has been Grammy Award nominated. He's hosted two radio shows in L.A., writes comedy for several stand-up comedians, writes and produces documentaries, and reality shows for cable TV. And he's hosted two radio series on his own in Los Angeles, as well as special projects. Um, his his current favorite, and I think Jeffrey, uh, 
I'm, I hope I'm still right about this, but Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella is still your current favorite project? Absolutely. Available everywhere, every week. So, yes, I am all of those things and well-endowed. We'll have a good time tonight. God bless. <laughs> Jeffrey is also in demand as a performer in nightclubs, cruise ships, and, of course, the ever-popular Christmas parties and corporate events. So, if you want to get a hold of him after the show, I'll tell you how. Um, let us, uh, Lakaim, my friend, salute. Cheers. Cheers, brother. So, it's been a while since I've seen you. Let's, uh, before we get into the conversation tonight, uh, on a personal note, how the hell are you? Oh, crazy busy. I found out from my publisher that the new Lucy book has been postponed till 2024 because yeah. all the publishers these days get their books printed in China. Yeah. They're so far behind in getting books printed. We can't get mine in until then. So it gives me wow. a little extra time to make sure the book is perfect. Yeah. I have, since last I spoke with you, finished writing my memoirs. So we're shopping oh. that. That'll be coming out. Um, I don't know because some folks are saying, let the Lucy book come out first and then do your memoirs. Or some people are saying, do your memoirs first. They'll sell more Lucy books. So we're, we're kind of trying to figure out which one is which. I, I am in the category of the latter. I think the memoir should come first. Then the Lucy book is going to just roll off of that. Absolutely. And I'm still it, recording an album for next year. And hopefully beautiful. I'll be coming east to do a singing tour. Uh, and, and, a, and a birthday party. Uh, my plans are to do a small singing tour next fall. That'll take yeah. me to the Eastern Seaboard ending with uh, my singing in New York City and then a 65th birthday party for me there and then sing in Los Angeles and a 65th birthday party for me out here in the desert. So Beautiful. And so then the following, you know when you... and then yeah, the following year, do the Lucy book tour, sing again, and that's my 50th anniversary in show business. Holy so shit. We have a really interesting yeah. 24 months coming up here. I'm telling you what, well, brother, when you get to New York, you better hit me up and let me know you're here. Hit you up? I'm going to do you up. Are you kidding? There you go. There you go. By the way, if Bruce Valanche is listening to this, you know, you stood me up, you prick, okay? I showed up at the theater in Delaware, the Wilma Theater in Delaware, and I sat there with my thumbs up my ass waiting for Bruce Valanche to come out. And you weren't there. So, I got bone to pick with you, Bruce. What happened? Um, he invited me to his show. Right. In Delaware, right? He was right. on my podcast. He invited me. I showed up at the theater. No Bruce. Were you the only one there? Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the place was locked up like a vault. Huh. Bruce is a friend. It doesn't sound like him. Something must have happened. Because he's, yeah. got no, he's got no reason to treat you badly. No, I, I no. I, well, if he treated me badly, then he treated the whole audience badly. Because then, I mean, no, this place was locked up like a vault. This theater was closed. So I don't think it was Bruce's fault. I think something happened, and they had to reschedule or cancel the event for whatever reason. I'm not really concerned about it, um, because Bruce has been on the show before, and he'll be on again. Because no, he's a Bruce, good guy. Bruce is a total pro and 
perhaps has maybe the funniest comedy mind I've ever met. He, I'll tell you what. Living. Jeffrey, when he was here, all we did was laugh. That's all I did for an hour and a half was just laugh my ass off. Uh, thank you to Mark Sodkin for, for Bruce Valanche. Yeah, Mark's a hell of a guy. He's yes, coming sir. on. You, do you know Mark, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Mark's coming on uh, December 1st. We're going to talk about the uh, changing face of stand-up comedy. Let's talk about that with you, as a matter of fact. You've written comedy. You've I, performed comedy. I You've um, participated in, in comedy uh, opera. Uh, as well as stage and television productions. Talk to me, uh, why is it so hard these days, Jeffrey, to be funny? It's a good question, and it's got probably 304 answers. Okay. So let me give you a few of them. Okay. When we were younger men, when I was getting started in comedy, so this is mm -hmm. all the way back to the 70s, you pretty much did stand-up comedy and cabarets. There was no really other place to do it. There yeah. was no more vaudeville or anything like that. And you didn't play the big places, Las Vegas, yeah. uh, Miami Beach, the Catskills, unless you were a name. Sure. Well, God bless Bud Freeman, our dear friend, who invented the comedy club idea. And then in the 80s, Thousands of these comedy clubs opened up all over the country. Yeah. Anybody could get on because they didn't know who might be funny or who might have the next catchphrase. Yeah. It was so easy to get booked. It was so easy to be funny. Then Comedy Central came along. And if you were, if you had 20 good minutes, they gave you a half hour special. Yeah. <laughs> well, all these clubs closed. Yeah. The, 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 the culture changed. And what happens, and it happens in every generation, what one generation finds funny, the next one doesn't. I'm True. amazed that, like, my grandchildren don't find Jack Benny funny. They don't even know who Jack Benny is. Yeah. They only know Lucy because, you know, yeah. <laughs> house, so you, you can't help it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the Jeffrey Mark house is a shrine to Lucia Ball. No, 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 no. Lucy Arnaz is going to have a fit if you say that. No. <laughs> the, the painting behind me was done by a wonderful young man as a gift. And the Lucy book picture, I wrote the book. But yeah. that, that's all the Lucy stuff there is here. The rest of it is it's all of my career and my background. All right, good. But, but you know, the being funny thing. I hosted the Palm Springs International Comedy Festival four years ago before COVID hit. And I did a panel with Ruta Lee and Dawn Wells, my, my dear, dear, wonderful Dawn Wells from Gilligan's Island. I loved her. And a, a couple of other ladies who, who are funny doing scripts. And we were talking about what do you do now when you're handed a script that's got naughty words or sexual situations yeah. or, you know. And uh, you know, Ruta asked, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I don't. I, I've never said a dirty word from a stage mm -hmm. and Rudis said Jeffrey for Christ's sakes you're over 50 go on the stage tonight and say fuck come on grow up <laughs> so oh, I went on, I I went on stage last night I was the opening act I think that night was 
uh, my friends Kathy Labman and Steve Bluestein, and I was the opening act. Oh, God, sure, Steve. I know who he is, yeah. And he lives out here in the desert now, too. And uh, I went out and said, when Jack Benny was first doing Las Vegas in the 60s, he was competing with people like Buddy Hackett. So all the comedians in Vegas were working what we call blue. Yeah. So Jack comes out and he says, well, you know, they tell me I've got to work blue because I'm in Las Vegas, you see. So I'm now about to say my first dirty word. Affair. And it stopped the audience cold and he just did his regular act. But I do think a lot of people who go to clubs today, if, if every word out of your mouth is not fuck or cock yeah. or something, yeah, that's what they're expecting. They're, they're, the young people who are going to comedy clubs are going to get drunk, get stoned. Mm-hmm. They want to hear locker room humor. That seems to be what sure. this generation enjoys. Yeah. So sophisticated humor seems not to be the cup of tea right now. And it'll change again. And then 10 years from now, newer people will come up and it'll be something else. So it's it's not like show business was always one way and now it's another way. Show business is always changing as tastes change, as times change, as things happen in the world. Yeah. As great stars pass away and new stars come up, it changes. And we're just watching it change. And then for two years, you couldn't go anywhere and see anybody be funny. And what was there to be funny about? Yeah. I mean, COVID jokes? I don't think so. It's real tough, man. It's it's difficult to to get an audience to laugh. Uh, You mentioned, you know, the the heyday of comedy. Back There were two heydays of comedy, for sure, the 50s and 60s, absolutely. Yes. And then we remember the 80s, late 70s, early 80s was was a plethora of comedy clubs. I ran one of the chains of those comedy clubs called Laugh Tracks. They were all over the country. And we closed almost as soon as we opened. Uh, we had a run of about six years because we went at a time when right in... 86, 87, 88, around that time, all of a sudden, stand-up comedy wasn't in vogue anymore. Yeah. And people don't understand that. You know, these comedy clubs like uh, Laugh Tracks, like um, the Improv, and because Improv was popping up everywhere. You know, you had Improv East, Improv West. You had, uh, I mean, Jamie Hasada had um, um, uh, got the... Um, Oh, uh, what was that? Uh, the, the, the comedy club that the Jamie has, not the improv. That was Bud's joint. There's the comedy store. I mean, that, the, the comedy store, Jamie Hosada. There, there, there are probably still three or four comedy clubs in Los Angeles. But but mm-hmm. people aren't showing up like they used to. Uh, you look at the, who's on the list every night. Yeah. At these places. Uh, my, my good buddy, Earl Skakel, is usually on close to end as the headliner. I look at the rest of the names. I don't know who these people are. I don't recognize them. And the people who I do recognize, and I'm not talking about people who are 40 years older than I, or even my peers, younger folks. 
Yeah. I don't see them around anymore. I don't see them working anymore. Uh, you know, jokes that don't fit your own mouth. I wrote this joke for this week for a comedian. Kanye West is such an asshole that instead of eyelids, he has hemorrhoids. <laughs> now, I love it. It's not funny out of my mouth, particularly, but out of the person who was going to say it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what you mentioned something important a moment ago. It's uh, critical. In fact, um, remembering people, not knowing who people are. Um, I can remember Shelly Berman. I can remember Jack Carter. I, I was close friends with both of them. And, and, and you and I actually spoke about a film that we were both familiar with called When Jews Were Funny. Yes. I have since had the director of that film on the show. Alan Zweig is his name. He's a very interesting character. He's coming back on. Good. Um, and, and I asked him, what was it about you that endeared these people to you? He said, they hated me. None of them liked me because I was in their face about wanting to get interviews with them. And I said, Thank thankfully you, you did because they're all gone now. You'll, well, those, we will never, you and I, Jeffrey, will never in our lifetime see that collection of comedians in one place at one time, no, ever again. No, the, the days when I could walk into the Friars Club in Beverly Hills, yeah, they'd just be sitting, pick a table, sit down, and laugh, mm -hmm. or get into a conversation. Uh, you know, you sit, you'd sit with Milton Berle, and it was very. We didn't sit and we we laughed, of course, but serious discussions who was the best comedian in the 50s who who had the best punchlines who had the best writers top 10 it was milton berle who invented the top 10 thing that yeah. letterman took milton invented that mm -hmm. and it was not on television or in nightclubs it was privately among milton's friends top 10 fill in the blank and if you knew enough to give him a top 10 yeah. or if he mentions uh, you know, Fink's mules or Swain's rats and cats, and you know who they were. Yeah. Please come sit by me. If you were a know nothing who thought he was funny, Milton had no time for you. And yeah. that's what I found across the board. I knew about comedy. I knew about its history. And some people think I'm funny. And they invited me to be a part of the party. And I'm enormously, eternally grateful. Well, you're incredibly talented and you are funny. And I want Melissa Black to jump in here. The Arctic Wolf, that you are up to bat with Jeffrey Mark. Well, it was very nice meeting you. Thank you for having me here. This is a kind of a whole new genre for me, so bear with me. Um, it would be safe to say you've had a very interesting and luxurious life. Um, I find it very interesting that you worked with Elvis. Um, no, I have worked with no people who've worked with Elvis. Oh, okay. Sandy Martindale in particular, right? Jeffrey, if I'm not mistaken. Among others. Okay. Among, uh, Christopher Reardon was the lead dancer in Elvis's movies. He and I are good buddies. Mm -hmm. Chris was also, Christopher, he hates being called Chris. Christopher was also, um... The lead, one of the lead dancers in all those beach blanket movies for my friend Bill Asher. And yeah. he did an episode of the Lucy show where he's featured dancing. 
So, so Christopher and I have a lot in common. Sandy Martindale is an amazing woman, and we're doing, we're writing a book together. Sandy, her father owned two nightclubs in Los Angeles, where a lot of comedians and early rock and roll acts appeared in L.A. So she got to meet all these people. And when she was 14, Elvis kicked her out of a crowd, and they began to seriously date. Uh, this is this is before he was married to Priscilla. Mm -hmm. uh, they yep. they were dating a long time. When Elvis married Priscilla, Sandy married some guy. It was a mistake. They got immediately annulled. And then Sandy was with Wayne Newton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. And then with her husband Wink Martindale. Wink. So sure. that, that's the book. But there are a lot of people out there who work with Elvis who have stories to tell. My Jack Carter and I were very close friends. Jack was in Viva Las Vegas with him. Sure. So I, I, I've got, I could probably, if I wanted to, write a book of just Elvis anecdotes. Yeah. But how many more Elvis books can we have, you know? Well, yeah, true. And for the record, and I've talked about it on the show before, I knew Charlie Hodge very well. Elvis's uh, guitar, backup guitarist, uh, right. and his vocal coach, by the way. And, and people would be surprised to know that Charlie Hodge was Elvis Presley's vocal coach. Uh, Melissa, questions for Jeffrey? Yeah, by the way, Melissa, if you get um, something wrong, don't worry about it. We'll just keep playing here. Okay, well, thank you. Um, I would like to know how you felt about getting in at such a young age at 17 years old into the cabaret. How was that? It was a, it was a necessity thing. I got into show business at 15 because my home life was terrible. And okay. our friend here calls me a brother from another mother, a sister from another mister, who there is still go. part of my life. But she lives in Aruba. Phyllis, I love you, sweetheart. Uh, dragged me to an audition at a dinner theater in Washington, D.C. And I got the part. Not as a kid. I played an adult. And from that, that led to my doing summer stock. I made my first movie at 16. And I did my first off-Broadway show at 17. I did a little bit of off-Broadway, several shows in a row. And then I had a fallow mm -hmm. period. And in those days, it was very easy to get booked into small nightclubs in New York because there were a lot of them. And if you were any good, you could work. And the good thing about nightclub work was you didn't have to audition, really. Um, you didn't have to work with directors and producers and other actors' egos. And you didn't have to have weeks and weeks of, of, of uh, rehearsals. They assumed you were ready and they brought you on. You did your act. It was an, a wonderful learning curve for me because I got on a nightclub stage as if I was on a theater stage. And it's not the same thing at all. It's like saying I'm a swimmer, therefore I'm going to be a good golfer. No, different set of muscles. And I had to learn how to use a mic. I had to learn how to play with the audience. You know, when you're on a stage, you're kind of like playing to this one person that's out there. And you're sort of playing to the balcony. And you're singing very largely so you can be heard. In a nightclub, mm -hmm. you're playing to these folks right here. And you can't shout at them. Uh, 
I did a benefit for a lady. It was a one year of her club being open. And I sang, there's no business like show business. And she said afterwards, what are you hollering about? You got the job. <laughs> sing it, sing it to them, not at them. Exactly. So to answer your question, how I felt about it, it was a, it was a life preserver. Anything in the business, I could make some money mm-hmm. and learn about my craft and get better and better and better and better. I don't know how this works with me that at this advanced age, I'm singing better today than I ever have. And I'm funnier than I ever was. That's not usual. Usually you peak in middle age and it's a little bit of a downhill after that. Uh, because I've learned from every wonderful performer I've ever seen. And I've learned from every awful performer I've ever seen. What not? Don't do that. Oh, no, don't turn your back on the audience. Don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah. I, I still, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's perfect. But I think the professionals, it isn't that you're always wonderful, but you're never awful. You don't make huge mistakes anymore. Your voice is never bad. You don't make bad song choices. Some choices are better than others. But uh, I I have a ball performing for people. It's where I'm my happiest. So I was happy. Uh, The only unhappy part about my early club work, quite frankly, was that my parents would show up because there was always some kind of drama around that. They would heckle me. And it, it was not a pleasant thing. But as long as my folks weren't in the audience... I had a great time and I'm still having a great time. Well, that's Listen, awesome. At, further questions? Thank you. Yeah. Um, how old are you? I've all heard that people know from the time they're very young, well, kind of what they're into and what they're not. Um, how old were you when you realized that this, this was the avenue that you wanted to pursue wholeheartedly? Two. He was a fetus. I was too. (laughs) You know, I'm a baby boomer. Television was right in the middle of everything back then. I lived in New York. There were seven channels, and that's all there was, those seven channels. Three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, eventually uh, uh, public broadcasting, eventually, and then some local stations. I got to watch the movies my grandparents watched. I knew who Al Jolson was. I knew who Eddie Cantor was. I knew who Fanny Bryce was before Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. And I knew from Ed Sullivan, all the people that were my parents' contemporaries. And then as time went on, mm-hmm. my contemporary, the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. But it, it just seemed to me that those folks in that box were having a whole lot better time than I was. And I'd rather be talking to them mm-hmm. than be talking to them. Them being the people around my neighborhood, for instance. So I always wanted mm-hmm. it. Uh, my great-grandmother and grandmother were aware of it and felt that's where I belonged and encouraged it. Uh, my mother did not that's ever. My mother never got one second of joy out of my career. Oh, well, too bad for her. But mm-hmm. since I'm two, I always knew... Uh, I was on the stage at four, amateur stuff, and I got into it as soon as I could. As soon as I I'll had tell you what, Jeffrey, your mother may not have 
gotten uh, any joy from you, but there is certainly as a woman who has gotten a great deal of joy from you, and her name is Ruda Lee. Uh, I want to show a little clip here of uh, of Jeffrey Mark being very gracious in an interview to his friend Ruda Lee. Tonight we are here in the Hollywood Museum again after a long, long break. Finally, it reopened, and the event that we are attending tonight is Rutali's new book. She's gonna sign it, and it's not just her book signing, it's also her birthday. And consider your aspist. Stay with us, it's gonna be a very interesting evening. This is Virag Vida from Bionic Buzz. Rolling! So here we are at the Hollywood Museum. We are at the Hollywood Museum celebrating my friend Rutali. Yes, and I'd like you to tell everybody your name and Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Sure. I'm Jeffrey Mark. I'm here at the Hollywood Museum. We are saluting and celebrating my friend Ruta Lee. I'm an Emmy winner, a Grammy nominee. I have several new books coming out. I have two podcasts I'm working on right now, three more books down the line. Uh, COVID has kept me busy because I could do so much of my work from home. But it is such a thrill to be with you and to be here at the Hollywood Museum, which is like my home. I'm so thrilled. And uh, do you, how long have you known Ruta? Do you have any interesting stories to share? I met Ruta Lee in the 1990s through wonderful, the wonderful late comedian Jack Carter. And I was working on a book and she allowed me to come to her mansion in Laurel Canyon to interview her. I think the dining room sat comfortably 64 people. I was overwhelmed by the house, yet she made me feel so comfortable. The best thing I can say about Ruta Lee, you know she's beautiful, you know she's talented. Maybe you don't know the heart she has. This woman has done so much charity work, not just for organizations, but she has personally helped so many people because she has all that love in her heart. And I, that's what I celebrate about her, her loving, loving heart. And where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Facebook, Jeffrey Mark, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-M-A-R-K. There's also a page for my Ella Fitzgerald, Jeffrey Mark Sings Ella. There's a page for that on Facebook if you're an Ella Fitzgerald fan. Either of those places, and I answer everybody. That is remarkable to me because you were so gracious uh, in exalting, high, holding up your friend Ruta Lee. What saddens me about that interview is that as, aside from you and I and a handful of people, there's a whole segment of our population that has no idea who this incredibly talented lady is. That saddens me. Well, it's it a saddens thing. me that they don't know who Henry Youngman and Myron Cohen are or Bob Einstein or guys like... Uh, our friend Shelly Berman or people like um, Andy Kindler, guys like, you know, that we should know. You should know these names. The good thing about Ruta is that she's still alive. She's Amen. still Thank lovely. You. She's still beautiful. She's still working. I mean, constantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she has a, a very large following. Yeah. She's not. Because there was never the Ruta Lee show. Right. The people who are well-remembered are because they had a show that got rerun over, you know, people know who Andy Griffith is because of the Andy Griffith show. They know Mayberry. They know Lucy from I Love Lucy. 
But if you were a Shelley Berman, well, occasionally the Judy Garland show might get rerun or the Ed mm -hmm. Sullivan show might get rerun or a Twilight Zone episode he didn't get rerun. Right. But there wasn't a show over and over and over and over and over again. Ruta was a guest on everything. So people sure know was. her. They know her from the Lucy show, from yeah. Burns and Allen, from Superman, from uh, so Andy Griff, the thick fan, so many things that she did. So she's not a forgotten person at all. And of course, she's the head of the Thalians. So that always keeps her in the spotlight. But what you're what you're talking about, I'm assuming, is being a mainstream star currently. You know, pick a name that I probably yeah. don't know who's very popular right now. Exactly. Well, my yeah, my my point was that you and I grew up knowing who she was because of the plethora of material that she did, television, film, and variety shows. That's something that I miss terribly. Yeah. Variety shows. I miss the whole, Hollywood we Palace. Should, we should do a whole show sometime about the history of the television variety show. Oh, God, let's do lots, it. Absolutely. I've got lots of stories. I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm going to commit to that. After, okay, cool. after the show, I am going to contact my producer, Amelia, and get a date for that. Um, I miss shows like the Hollywood Palace. I miss shows like um, the, uh, um, oh, God, the, the Craft Hour. Uh, Ed Sullivan. Um, Craft Music Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cra that's a Craft Music Hall. Uh, Ed Sullivan show. You don't find these kind of programs anymore. I really uh, miss them a lot. There, there's, I mean, we'll keep the stories for the next time I come. But there's yeah. two reasons why you don't see them anymore. One yeah. is money. Oh, you yeah. Know, Carol, Carol Burnett will tell you. On her show, 11 seasons, they had 10 or 12 writers they had to pay every week. Mm-hmm. The full staff, the full complement of craft people they had to pay every week. They had a 24-piece orchestra every week. Yeah. A dancing troupe who also sang. Then the salaries of her co-stars. Then the salaries of the guest stars who came on. Mm -hmm. You No one paid. When Carol Burnett or you know Ed Sullivan sometimes played to 40, 50 million people a week. Yeah. And that made you a top 10 star on Hollywood. Sure. Again, when there were three networks. Mm -hmm. No one is even watching broadcast television anymore. They're barely watching cable television anymore. You're right. Everything Scary. is on platforms, whether it's podcasts or other kinds of shows. We're yeah. all your show, my show, we're all on pod on platforms of some kind. Yeah. And there's 90 million of them out there. Mm -hmm. And if you get two or three million people to watch you're a big big hit when we when we when i wrote and produced with my my, my producing partner bob corsini robert corsini um inside television's greatest i love lucy for tlc mm -hmm. this is back in the early 2000s and we got 1.6 million people watching and they were like that's not bad today they'd be asking us to sign contracts <laughs> more absolutely <laughs> because absolutely changed. brother the other problem with variety shows not the comedy although it's unless you go naughty it's hard to get comedians mm -hmm. but musical tastes it was the reason that sullivan had to go 
because you can't have the Rolling Stones and the Mamas and Papas and Janis Joplin on the same show with Sergio Franchi and Ethel Merman and Kate Smith. <laughs> and that's what he was. Yeah, doing. and you're absolutely right, Jeffrey. As strange as it may sound to people, he's not lying, folks. That's what it was. Every week, you had the, the top groups, the, the top entertainers. You had jugglers, acrobats, monkey acts. You had every kind of conceivable act on Ed Sullivan. And those, variety, have. those variety acts are, are the easy part. Yeah. It was the big names. The kids didn't want to look at Ethel Merman. My grandparents didn't want to look at the mamas and papas. So people stopped watching because they would, they would lose interest. The, the, the hour didn't keep everybody's interest. Ed felt that there was something for everyone in his mind, the family would all sit around the TV together yeah. and there'd be something for everybody. Well, look at today. Everything yeah. today is niche programming. Nobody shares anything. Yeah. Families don't sit and watch anything together anymore. Everyone's got their little thing and they're looking like this. Here's a remarkable side note about that, Jeffrey. Yes, sir. And it, it's a very interesting side note about it. The Ed Sullivan show today is on in reruns. Yes. On the Decades channel. Okay. It's also on Pluto. It's all, yes, on Pluto as well. And being picked up on a lot of these independent television streaming services. Right. It is among the top programs on these streaming services. The Ed Sullivan Show, Dick Cavett, um, oh, oh God, um, Mike Douglas, all that. And these were, I consider them. As much variety shows as they were talk shows. Yeah. Where else could you see Tiny Tim and Judy Garland together performing, you know, a song? Mike Douglas could pull it off. I don't know how he did it. Well, <laughs> my friend Andrew Solt, who, who owns the Ed Sullivan catalog, has mm -hmm. been very smart about it. He doesn't rerun entire shows, he right. reruns True. themes. So if it's, uh, the comedians of the 60s, yeah. you'll see George Carlin and Shelley Berman and, oh, and God, yeah. Joan Rivers all together. If it's um, male singers, you'll see Engelbert Humperdinck and Tom Jones and, and maybe mm -hmm. Sinatra. But he, he doesn't do what Ed did. He doesn't force you to watch all the different genres together. Now, purists yeah. like me, I'd rather watch a whole episode and see it just the way I remembered it. But young yeah. people, they have no memory of it. It's not sentimental to them. Yeah. They don't want to watch, but they don't want to watch. Because exactly. young, young people today, you better give them what they want and you better give it to them now. Exactly. Yeah, because there's five minutes it will go away. Uh, we, in our generation, we had entertainment power that had lasting durability. We know the names of these people. In, in, I'm not even going to say in five years. In two years, nobody's going to know who the hell the top entertainers of 2022 are. No. They won't know. They literally won't know. That's a frightening thought, Jeff. That's a frightening thought, brother. It doesn't frighten me because cultures, we can't help, you know, every generation, every single generation 
Ah, the kids today. Ah, the new generation. Hmm. Because culture constantly changes. We have to accept that. Yeah. We can't fight that. You know, let's go back. I'm a stalwart, I guess. (laughs) Let's go back to when life was like Mayberry. Yeah, life was never. Oh, can we please? Life was never like Mayberry. <laughs> Nobody has any problems. Exactly. There's no crime. Exactly. There, there are no people of color to be seen. Right. There are no gay people to be seen. Nope. Although, isn't it interesting that everybody there is unmarried? It's true. And I always thought Gober and Goomer. Goober and Gomer were like maybe having a little incestuous fun together. Yeah. Because in the Andy Griffith (laughs) reunion movie in the 80s, neither one ever gets married. They're running that gas station together. The first gay man I ever saw on television was Paul Lind. Paul Lind. You saw Paul before you saw like Charles Nelson Riley or... Rip Taylor. Yes, or... because I didn't know. Well, I knew who Rip was later in life. I got to know Rip later in life. But Charles, right. I didn't know at the, at the time. I didn't just discover Charles Nelson Riley until later. It, interesting you mentioned his name because he became actually one of my favorites. Uh, I have his stage play here, The Life of Riley, where he, he does his life on stage. I, I saw him do it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an incredible piece of work, uh, and then he passed away right after it. Um, but there, there were always gay people in show business. You can go all the way back to silent films. Mm-hmm. Gary Cooper was bisexual. I mean, right. A lot of the early, what my grandparents' generation of people, a lot of those guys got to be known because they slept with the men who made decisions, or they or they posed nude. Even you president, and I talked even, about that before, actually. You and even, I remember talking about even President Ronald, Ronald, even President Ronald Reagan. Yeah, showed off his body to get parts. Absolutely. We we talked about previously. You know, Hollywood was predicated upon you know gay Jewish men. Yeah, in, in large part. Uh, Melissa, questions at this point for Jeffrey Mark. Yeah, we should tell our folks who are watching and listening that because she's in Alaska, there's like a six-second delay. So it's not because she hasn't got something wonderful to say. It's that we're being hogs, and we're not giving her any room to say it. So you have six seconds to join us in, and I want to hear your next question, Melissa. I don't feel that you guys are being hogs. I have actually found this to be a very educational experience for me. Um, I didn't have a television when I... I grew up, so I didn't get to watch a lot of these shows. Um, but wow. I would like to say thank you to you, Jeffrey, um, for being such an icon and for kind of breaking the pathway for younger generation today coming up into this genre of acting and all of that. I think you are truly a hero of your own making. Oh, thank um, you. Is there anything that you would change? About what? Um, My life, show business, the world. Well, Jeffrey's the trailblazer like, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. the trailblazer. Um, In what part of- I know you that you about- said the relationship between you and your mother was very strained. Was there anything about that that you wish was different, or that that you wish you could could have changed? 
know, it's a funny thing. During COVID, you, you heard me saying about Ruta Lee that, you know, COVID, now work from mm -hmm. home. Well, literally for a year and a half, I had no human contact at all. Food was delivered. Medications were delivered. I was here in this house and didn't go anywhere. And it gave me an awful lot of time to ask myself these kinds of questions. Uh, you know, my, my Joel died about a year, right? Like almost exactly a year before COVID started. So I, I had his death and then COVID and a lot of time to ask, what if, what if, and you know what? And isn't it interesting? I turned my phone off and yet somehow it turned itself back on again. Shame <laughs> on you phone. Like I'm going to turn my phone <laughs> off entirely, off entirely. Uh, you know, my life, like everybody else's life, is a patchwork of stuff sewn together mm -hmm. or a, a, a brick wall mortared together. Well, if you take one brick out, does the whole wall fall down or does the wall change its shape or its color? If I would have had mentally healthy parents, we would never have left Brooklyn. Would I have gone into show business? I don't know. I would never have met Joel. I would have never been kicked out the way I was if my parents were mentally healthy. Um, the same questions about Joel. Um, we've discussed, you, you don't know this, but we've discussed on here before that Joel and I were together for 47 years, hmm. but we never lived together. Well, what if I had insisted upon that? Will we have lasted 47 years? And the answer to all those questions is we're never going to know because that's never know. not how it was. So I am stuck with, if you, I'm not stuck, but how things happened are how things happened. My yeah. good or bad decisions, other people's good or bad decisions. Yeah. Um, there is something about, I don't know if it's America specifically or just the human race. We, we put down people who are in some, place, in some way extraordinary. Hmm. I learned to read and write at two because I taught myself. My IQ is 163. That puts me in the genius category. Big deal. Mm -hmm. But it is. Because the other kids didn't know what to do with me. Uh, having talent. Big deal. Well, except that other people don't know how to deal with me. You know, I don't wear this hat to bed. They you should. Me. It would look beautiful on you. <laughs> when, when we go to bed together, I'll wear it for you, sir. Beautiful. <laughs> I've got others. You'll pick the right color, the one you like. Um <laughs> there are people who are afraid of me. There are people who resent me. And then there's the gay thing. And I've had to deal with that all of my life. Not because I'm, I, I don't think I am extraordinarily effeminate. I think without the sparkles, I'm just a regular guy who happens to be gay. But people didn't know where to put that, what to do, how to, how to approach it. You, you wouldn't believe in the, in the 21st century, I mean, Joel's only gone three and a half years. 
the stupid questions I got from people about him, including wanting to know what we did in bed together. It's like, are you people brain dead to ask a question like that? Yeah, they are. So well, that's all I know is of course it isn't. The only people I answered immediately were our children. And they're my stepchildren. And the okay. answer I gave them, and I think I've said this on the show before, was picture it. Mm-hmm. It's a warm summer night. The shades are up. There's a full moon. I am sleeping in bed next to him to his left. And somewhere at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I awake because I'm aware he's awake. And he's leaning on his chest, his fist like this, staring at me and smiling. I lift my head up off the pillow. Honey, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong, sweetheart? He said, nothing. I just wanted to look at you. And he puts his fingers Aww. through my hair, puts his fingers through my hair, gently pushes my head back on the pillow and said, everything is okay. Go back to sleep. That's so sweet. That happened, that happened more than once. I'm using it as an umbrella example. I never feel as safe in my life as I do next to him in that bed. That's what you need to know about our sex life together. There you go. Okay. And that's more than most people should know anyway, quite frankly. What we did is, you know, boring to anybody except the two of us. So, um, Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward. I'm a very sentimental person. If you were to walk through my home, everything I own is a story to it uh, from family, from my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my travels, my career behind me. Right. But I'm training myself to look forward now. What's coming up next? And who am I going to meet? And what new friends am I going to have? And is there going to be new love in my life? And, 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 and. Because I'm not done yet. I can tell you what's coming up next. It's a song by Jeffrey Mark. No kidding? Yeah. One thing, you've been here a couple of times, and one thing you've never did uh, is never busted out a song for us. Well, thanks to uh, the magic of videotape, as they say, Jeffrey Mark is going to belt out a song for us. And I don't even know where this is from. It'll be a surprise to me. It's going to be a surprise to you. you. You'll recognize it, but here you go. Oh, sweet eating Georgia Brown, I'll tell you just why. You know I don't lie. Not much, cause it's been said. She knocks him dead when she lands, when she lands in town. What a shame, what a shame. How now, how now she cools him down. The feller she can't get. Are the fellers she ain't met? Jaga Hodge the game, the Jaga Hodge claim, their sweet Georgia Brown. No gal made has got a lot of shade on. Sweet Georgia Brown, too lefty, he's so neat. Has Georgia Brown, they all sigh and wanna cry. For sweet Georgia Brown, I'll tell you just why. You know I don't lie. Not much, 
years it's been said she knocks him dead when she lands when she lands when she lands in town what a shame what a shame how she cools him down the fellers she can't get all the fellers she ain't met jihad you named a jihad you claimed a sweet georgia brown no gal, not one gal, Scottish acre on Georgia Brown. Two feet, so neat, hey, that Georgia Brown, they sigh. What a cry for that Georgia Brown. Yes, son, what I tell you. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, I don't lie. All the tips, quarter slips. You sweet Georgia Brown. They buy clothes at fashion shows with one dollar down. Fellers, she can't get out of fellers. She ain't mad. Well, oh boy, Tim, your ads for all joy. She's the cat, she's no gal. It's got a shade on sweet. She's got two left feet, but all so neat. She's got money and clothes and diamonds too. There's just nothing that gal can't do. She's got the guys all hanging around. How she really cools them down. Judge a name to judge a claim to sweet, sweet. Georgia Brown, Georgia Linda, Georgia Glenda, that old gal called Georgia Brown. Now, you know, I I've never it. seen that. I've never seen that. I never, in all these years, I, I don't look at myself on television. I don't look at podcasts. I don't go back. I, I hate watching myself. I get all nervous. Oh, I could have done that better. Yeah, that was I'm with there. you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad I'm uh, 25 pounds lighter than I was there. That's nice. Well, I'll tell you what, um, regardless of weight, uh, regardless of uh, any of that, the voice sounds amazing. And I see you that have now. that you, your voice. And I'll just say it's out of another era. And I mean that as uh -huh. an absolute compliment. It's out of another era. Uh, well, there is you know, an um, a, a sassiness to your voice, an well, innocence to your voice. There's a, a crisp vibrato to your voice that's just missing today. You can understand the words. Yes. That that's uh -huh. critical. I, and I, I can hear the music and I can listen to your words. Thank you. One thank you. is not drowning out the other. I understand clearly what the song is about, the story and the text of the story. And I love it. And you don't find that anymore. You know, my foray in the show business, Jeffrey, we talked about this before, is the music business. Right. That's that's how I got into the business. Music. So music is is, is life's blood to me. And I yeah. love any kind of music. Thank God that my daughter you know, inherited that trait. She, she's, I love, I love this kid because she's got such mm -hmm. a diverse taste in music. By the way, did you get the Ella album? I mean, the, the um, Ethel album I sent you. 
Yes, I did. Thank you. Beautiful. So Ethel you. Merman was one of my favorites. I loved Ethel Merman. Well, she, we, need, we and can you have that. And Jeffrey, yeah. you have that Merman-esque type of delivery. That balls to the walls kind of put it out there and let's let it be. Stud muffin, let her get a word in edgewise. I'll Melissa. try. Go ahead. Melissa, now tell me how if much I, you love. If I might say so, I actually found my head kind of bobbing along with it, even wanting to do a little bit of the shimmy, you know? Um, the kind of music that makes you happy. It makes you want to get up and dance. It brings exactly. a smile to your face. And Thank you. I missed that, and I want to thank you for bringing that to people because it really, it's just joyful. You know, that clip was from five years ago, and I was singing in a, in a store. Yeah. I was selling my Ella books, and to get people to come in, I was doing a little mini concert. You know, no lighting, uh, no one working with dials to make my voice sound better, no, vibra no uh, echo on it or anything. I mean, my, my voice and the music coming out of the same place. Yeah. Um, but I, I've been told since I first started, if nothing else, when I sing, if I make people happy. Yeah. And I'm mm -hmm. glad. I sing five years better today than I did back then. You sound even that great. Same, even that same song, I sing it better today. And uh, I'm excited. You know, there's a whole bunch of new stuff I'm doing. For the new album, and uh, we're going to call it Jeffrey Mark sings the Ella Fitzgerald songbook. And I then I'm say, I could hear Ella singing that. I, I could I could absolutely hear Ella singing that. Well, she did. That's why oh, I, I know. That's why I'm saying when when yeah. you sang it, I'm listening and I know where it, where it comes from because I know the she, music. I don't imitate her. You don't need I, to. I I do it my way. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm lucky. It, it, I have this memory, this brain that retains everything in every season hears. Mm -hmm. So when I perform, you're watching a little Frank Sinatra and a little Ethel Merman and a little Tony Bennett, a little Rosemary Clooney, and there's some Mary Martin over here. And so, there's, oh, here's some Cheetah Rivera I'm going to take. Oh, and, I love Cheetah. Oh, uh, I, I did the show. I did bring back Bertie with her. We'll talk about that sometime on Broadway. Oh, oh God, yeah, what a disaster! But but she was, oh. but she was wonderful. Okay, <laughs> um, you know, a little Count Basie and a little Glenn Miller and a little bit of the Beatles and a little bit of a great piece, big piece of the Manhattan Transfer. So all of these influences, oh, I stir it in a pot and I come up with Jeffrey Mark. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't mind that people can hear the influences as long as I'm not imitating anybody. Yeah. Being influenced is okay. Out and out imitation, no. I'll tell you what, Jeffrey, you you just led me into a great segue. Um, sure. We lost some people this year that will never be imitated or oh. duplicated. You're gonna make uh, me let's cry. Take a, let's take a look at this. I worked with it. Nikki and I were close friends. Tell me about Michael Callen. Nikki was a strange man. He was very, very handsome. A nice Jewish boy from Philadelphia. But boy, could he dance. And he was the riff in the original production of West Side Story. 
And yet after that, he didn't dance very much. Um, he recorded some albums and then he didn't sing very much. He made a few movies, including my favorite, Cat Baloo. And then he stopped making movies. He starred in the TV show uh, Occasional Wife. Mm-hmm. And yet he never started in a show again. Mickey had all this smoldering good looks and talent, but he didn't have any real drive. Everything happened to him because he was so good looking and so talented. Yeah. Not because he was push, push, pushing. Um, and funny as hell. We had lunch one day, Mickey and I and his best friend from life who happened to have been gay, but uh, Mickey didn't know it while they were growing up. And time mm-hmm. went on and they reunited. And the guy said to him, you know, my, uh, everybody called him Mickey, not Michael. Yeah. Uh, Mickey, I got something to tell you. He said, you know, I, I know you didn't know when we were growing up, but uh, I'm gay. And Mickey turned to him and said, oh, you poor cocksucker. <laughs> and they repeated it for I me lunch. i fell off my chair oh, uh, shit. I, I loved him a lot uh when he started getting ill it didn't sit well with him he spent his last i don't know seven eight nine years in the motion picture home in woodland hills california yeah i used to, I used I to go visit that. him there he was not a very happy camper yeah, I, I heard that his his whole disposition turned on a dime, that he could be quite moody an, antagonistic, to use that word. He could be. Uh, and, he was uh, straight, absolutely straight, and yet kissed me on my lips, hello and goodbye. So the guy I got was a lot of fun to be with. Yeah, the, the illness kind of took all of the fun out of him, unfortunately. Ed Asner, uh, <laughs> I interviewed Ed for a documentary I wrote and produced again with Robert Corsini about the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people in my crew, you know, the camera guy and lighting showed yeah. up drunk. They were Australians oh my and God. out all night partying. And when they got there, it was like watching the Three Stooges set up. Oh, Jesus. And Ed, Ed turned to me and he said, well, so you're the brains of this outfit, right? And I said, Jeez. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Here you go. Uh, I adored this woman. I just thought she was funny as shit. Um, it, as broke, funny- it broke my heart when I, I heard that Judy passed J- just a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Judy and I were friends for about 10 years. Uh, I mean, close friends, but but she was nothing like her stage character. She was soft-spoken. She was a lady. Uh, emotional. Mm-hmm. Witty. Very sweet. Um... I'm making decisions about what I'm going to say next. I adored her. We were close friends. And there is a but about it. And I'm not going to discuss the but. Because yeah. uh, the but has got nothing to do with her. Yeah. Her her management and I don't get along. And yeah, that's I, sad. I understand. But she and I, no matter what anybody says, yeah. we're very close friends. And... Uh, 
when she passed away, I'd, I'd spoken to her about 10 days before she died. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, Jeffrey, I'm having such a bad day. The pain is so bad. I can hardly talk. That was the last time I spoke to her. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I sent her a copy of the Ella book that has the music, the two music CDs in it, because she found that Ella's music kind of lightened things up for her. Yeah. The music made her happy. Yeah. Um, I'd say the three days, the day she died and two days afterwards, I was so upset. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, and people say, why would you get so upset? Because that's who I am. Yeah. People I love are in pain or die. I, I, it takes me a while to deal with it and to kind of own it and feel the feelings and then let go of it. So, yeah. um, yeah. I guess I am eluding that there's a naysayer out there. And I, I, I'm telling you, we were good, good, close friends. And I adored her. And yeah. I miss her terribly. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, from a, And I, I never knew her at all. I just adored her comedy. I, I, I thought to myself, even the first time I ever saw her, she came out wearing a beautiful dress. She had a big-ass accordion on her chest. And when she opened her mouth and was just, you know, bawdy and loud, I thought, now there's a woman I could fall in love with. Because <laughs> I love me a loud mouth woman. <laughs> That's why I married Anita. <laughs> I let Let's it take run. a look at this. Did you know, right. Leslie? Leslie? Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 I don't think you could be in show business and not have known Leslie. He was everywhere. He was, he was, if you were in New York, Leslie was in New York. If you were in LA, Leslie was in LA. Out here, you'd find Leslie. I, I don't know very many people. There are a few. Roddy McDowell might be one of them. My, my dear late Jack Riley might be one of them that nobody has a bad word to say about. Never- I love Jack Riley. He's such the, the, the master of deadpan. I will tell you, and you'll read about it in the book, that Jack Riley and I were as close as two men can be. And we're going to leave it there for now. Okay. But Fair please enough. know Fair that's enough. the thing. Sure. Uh, Leslie was uh, one of the sweetest human beings I've ever met. I, I posted on Facebook about his death and I meant what I said. We didn't become close friends because every time I talked with him, someone was pushing me out of the way to get at him. I it found was- that fascinating when you said that, Jeffrey. I thought to myself, here's a guy in his own right that's, you know, that attracts a, a large number of people. Speaking of you. Yeah. I, and I, then I, for people to push you out of the way to get to him. You know, this guy must have been beloved. I know I will. I will confess. I've never been a big fan of Leslie Jordan. My wife, however, knew exactly who he was uh, when he passed. And uh, so she was a big fan of Will and Grace and yeah. shows like that. And he's done it. If, if I can give you a quick go to movies, if I can give you a quick sidebar about being pushed. Sure. Aside, sure. I was having dinner one night with Kevin Spacey and a couple of people mm-hmm. and we were getting up to leave. And he was talking with me about my possibly doing some charity work with him. And somebody in the business came over 
and they wanted to talk to Kevin. This is long before there were any scandals. I don't even think he was doing House of Cards yet. And they pushed me physically so hard that I was thrown against the wall and bounced back oh, because they wanted me out of the way to talk to him. And by the way, not that my vote counts, Kevin is completely innocent. It's all incredible baloney. And I thank you for saying that because I was going to go there, and I am going to go there. Um, baloney. Kudos to, the, to the, the team justice finally got one right. Um, this is the, uh, the opening shot on many that, that finally they're going to get them right. You're going to see one after another, I believe, you know, not guilty, not guilty, and and it, uh, way overdue. And I'll, that's enough uh, that I'll say for now. Yeah. Because we are planning on a show with or without him. I would love to have him here, but we're doing a, a Kevin Spacey show with or without him. Um, I would imagine without, because I would imagine legally he's not allowed to comment. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a look at this. It's book time. Now, that's the CD, right, Jeffrey? That is the first book of Ella. I wrote two books, and that's the CD of the first book. That's the Lucy book. The first Lucy book. The new Lucy book is coming out in 2024. There's Ethel Merman. Ethel, yeah. With a forward by Rosemary. That's one of the last pictures taken of Lucy Yep. That's the not the cover. I yelled at the publisher. That's not the cover. They agreed. Oh. Amazon. That was the original cover of the first album. That's the second album. I like a whole lot. Oh, I love Tiffany. What a lovely, lovely lady. I have to tell you an interesting side note. That's my original artwork right there. Okay. I found it on someone else's website as their header poster for your, for, for your work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't Somebody, I'm complimented by it. I, can, I don't consider it theft. I consider it borrowing from the best. I would love to know who did this or who wanted this on their page for me. That's lovely. Yeah. But, um, Tippy, I got to meet that. That was the first time I met her. Mm -hmm. um, the Ella book had literally the book I'm holding in my hand there, that picture on the left. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't seen the book. I had not been given a hard copy of it. And uh, our conjunctive publicist, Harlan Bowl, yeah. uh, this was an event for Tippy. And uh, he put the book in my hand and ran away. Like he didn't want to, he didn't want me to get all mushy sentimental about it. And then there's a, all this paparazzi around us. Click, 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 click. Yeah. So, um, and we ended up having dinner together after that. That just a lovely, lovely, enchanting woman. Yeah. I think that's the end of that role. Okay. You um, got the me. Good heavens. Yeah. I there's something I want to show you. Uh -oh. I've not seen this before, uh, and I'm quite intrigued by it. Let's take a look at this. I never knew that there was a, that Jeffrey Mark 
and Kathy Garver, a, a.k.a. Sissy, was uh, into the cookbook scene. I didn't know that, that, that she wrote cookbooks, that you and her corroborated on a cookbook, no less. Um, How did this project come about? I was out here in one of the places I was living when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kathy and I were, were buddies. Uh, she done my radio show in L.A., on KRLA. We knew each other from the business. And she said, Jeff, I've written a cookbook. But, like, it's, she said it's, it's 75% done. Could you just, like, tighten it up and make it ready for publication? She'd never written a book before. Right. She sent me about 70 pages of recipes, like tuna casserole with crunched up potato chips on top. Really? And I I said, Kathy, this isn't a book. It has no narrative. It has no prose. And the recipes are like off of oatmeal cartons. (laughs) So I said to her, I want you to buy me the five seasons of Family Affair on DVD. What I did was I went and watched every single episode start to finish. Anytime Mr. French was serving a meal or Uncle Bill was in a restaurant or anyone was in a restaurant ordering food, I found great recipes for them or I used my own. And then Kathy offered reminiscences about making that episode. That was the front of the book. And then we had like hot cuisine of the 60s that people don't find. Like you you don't find Welsh rarebit on menus anymore. You don't find Oysters Rockefeller or Clams Casino or... You do out here, brother. (laughs) Well, yeah. But but the rest of the country, no. Yeah. And then we did uh, alcoholic drinks of the 60s that Rob Roy's and that people don't order anymore. And then we did child-friendly recipes that kids could make with their parents Mm -hmm. and then the back of the book are some of her family recipes and my family recipes. Yep. And there's a picture of the two of us on the back cover of the book. I'm all about an open bar, brother. That's it. <laughs> you can all have right. all of my liquor. I hear you, brother. You, you so, know, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, just, we're going 10 minutes past time. Wow, holy crap. Oh, let's do an hour past time. Who cares? That sounds good. Let's go for a little bit. Um, Melissa, the Arctic Wolf. The Arctic Wolf herself. Fire up some questions, young lady, because I'm throwing Jeffrey Mark in your direction. Well, you like to cook. Is that correct? I come from a family of good cooks. My great-grandmother was a good cook. My My grandmother was a good cook. My mother was a good cook. Even my grandfather cooked a little bit. What is your favorite dish to cook? Because I love to eat. (laughs) <laughs> if I'm cooking just for me, favorites are what I, I call a Caribbean spaghetti, which mm. is spaghetti with um, a spicy, tangy sauce with uh, green olives and raisins and Caribbean spices. So it's not Italian, Italian. It's it's Caribbean style. But I guess my Sounds- favorite stuff. I guess my favorites, I can make anything except Chinese food. I don't, I don't make good Chinese food, but, uh, but Jewish cooking is my favorite thing to make Mm. because 
I make it better than any restaurant will. So if I want chopped liver, I make chopped liver. If I want chicken soup and matzo balls, I make it. Or potato kugel or potato latkes for Hanukkah, I make them. Okay. That's, that's probably oh. my favorite comfort food. And when I'm really awesome. on a sugar binge, I make a wonderful ice cream pie. Mm. With oh, ice you're making cream. me hungry. Ice cream and almonds and coconut and chopped up pieces oh, of shut up, cookies. <laughs> oh Lord, I'm gaining five pounds just listening to you. I make I'm telling you what, and I make a Jewish dessert called mandelbrot, which is like biscotti, only it's not quite as crunchy. Mm. With chocolate chips and raisins and almonds, and great for dunking and coffee. I got a question awesome. for you: Jewish yes, apple cake. Yes, sir. Jewish apple cake with or without nuts. What's the traditional recipe? Walnuts. Walnuts. Okay. Thank you. Because I had an ongoing debate with a, a particular individual who says that there are no nuts in traditional Jewish apple cake. I said, bullshit. I know there are. I grew up eating this stuff. Tell him or her next time, Kishmir and Tuchus, and yes, there are. Yes, exactly. You know what Kishmir and Tuchus means? Yeah, kiss my ass. That's right. Exactly. Oh, I'll have I to remember that when I know some Hebrew I can't say on the air. Well, yes, I can because nobody will know it anyway. When you grow up in New York City, the Italians learn Yiddish and the Jews learn Italian. Exactly. Because well, our, I learned... our families lived together. The Jews and the Italians in Brooklyn lived in the same neighborhoods. I learned an expression, Zibalek Mikanatoya in Toyvak Simmons and Yutak Vite in Yedak Simmons. I learned that expression. And it, it loosely translated means you should own a hotel with a hundred rooms and get sick in each one. There are wonderful Jewish curses. <laughs> may every tooth in your mouth fall out except for one. And in that one, may you have a toothache for the rest of your life. <laughs> huh? I know a few people I'd like to curse them with that one. There you go. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Listen, may your, may your head grow in the ground like an onion. Oh, you man. Know. Melissa, you get the final question of the night. I'm going to let this man get off of here and, and go home. Okay. And have um, I am home. Keep talking. I don't care. One well, of the yeah, shows I, that I did watch growing up that I really loved was The Adams Family. Um, I understand that you were involved with that show. I was involved because I knew the people. The, that year and a half, I told you I lived in L.A., it just so happens mm -hmm. that Lisa Loring, who played Wednesday, was in my class. That little, little, little uh, Wednesday Adams gave me my first kiss. And um, wow. got to, and I, I wrote and produced a documentary about the Adams family. Yep. But when I was a kid living in Tucson, again, I told you for six months, there was a mm -hmm. there's a there's a light shadow hitting me. I'm trying to avoid it right there on my nose. See that? I'm trying to get away from that. Yes. Um, there's a place called Old Tucson where a lot of the uh, Westerns were made. And in costume, was how many hours they had to do it, Lurch and Uncle Fester were there. And uh, mm. I don't know why, even then, performers somehow found me. And Lurch put me up on his shoulders and Uncle Fester and I, and, and 
these days I'm I'm friends with Uncle Fester's son, and um, Jackie Coogan, his son. Oh, Keith. Jackie Coogan's son, Keith. Yes. God bless him. God bless. So a lot of connections to to that show and the documentary I did about it. Well, I'll tell you what, my friend. Very well done show. Very a brilliantly written and brilliantly acted show. And if they had been allowed to be a little truer to the cartoon, that show could have run forever because it, it the only thing that they killed that show and killed the monsters is that everything was going to color and the costs of the makeup in color, the networks didn't want to pay for. So the monsters mm. and the Addis family debuted in the same week and two years later ended in the same week for the same reasons. Yeah. Because of, of money, not because the shows weren't well done. Well, I am getting the signal that we have to get out of here. All right. Jeffrey Mark, thank you so much. For, oh, thank you so very much, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. Hi. There it's he is. a pleasure meeting you, Melissa. And young man, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do a variety show show. Yeah, absolutely. I will have Amelia contact you about that. I am going to let you go, my friend. Uh, I love you. Take care and uh, and stay out of trouble. And to all of our friends and fans out there, God bless and have a happy. Take care, Jet. Bye bye. Oh look at that, Melissa blowing kisses at me. <laughs> are we off of the air officially no we're still on the air we're still Whoops. here <laughs> yeah what we're going that's okay it's all good it's all good uh yeah great show great show tonight um i want to tell everybody uh, yeah i want to tell everybody about tomorrow night we have um part three uh mm. unprecedented part three of Amy Carlson's Love Has One Cult. Um, you will uh, you'll be with us tomorrow night. This is your maiden voyage with Jeffrey Mark. I thought, let me break it in easy with Jeffrey. He's a great guy. Um, Anthony, Go oh, I know who he is. Okay. Um, and Josh Patterson. Hi, Mama. Oh, Josh Patterson says, hi, Mama. That is my son-in-law. Oh, and Anthony Golden is my is son. Is that your son? Okay. Well, there you go then. Let's put him up Hi, on guys. the screen. There's Anthony. Says this is interesting and informative. I try to make it interesting and informative. And there's Josh. Hey, Josh. Mama's here. Say hi, Mama. Love you guys. There you go. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, uh, it's been a great maiden voyage for you. Terrific having you here. Um, I will see you tomorrow night. This is Melissa Black, the Arctic Wolf. Uh, she will be with us every Tuesday and Thursday from here on out. And uh, it'll give Randy Hogan a little break so from Thursday nights because Randy's kind of got things going. He's got a lot of stuff going on right now. A lot of irons in the fire. And, uh, and I really hope you I what, did you proud. Yeah, we got some amazing shows coming up. Let me just give everybody a little heads up. Grab our schedule here. Um, by the way, we got a hell of a response from Kevin Schopel, Psychics in the Bible. Uh, mm. An amazing response. So much so that Kevin is coming back in January. 
along with oh. psychic Jennifer Longberg. Ooh, um, that should be interesting. We have uh, Love is Wrong. We've got Jeffrey Mark. Uh, November is going to be the November 1st. In fact, we're going to start off with Native American History Month. We're going to have former professional wrestler Chief Charlie Norris with us. Charlie is a, is a legit, not just a gimmick wrestling Indian, but he is a, a legitimate Native American who will be with us um, to tell you about how things are going in the Dakotas uh, and Minnesota, up around that area. Um, Marilyn Monroe will be uh, our part two of Marilyn Monroe on uh, November the 3rd. Then we'll be joined on November 8th and 10th. We will do the God question. Is there a God? If so, who is he, she, or it? Uh, and on November the 10th, the crash at Roswell, New Mexico. Chemtrails, Jonestown, the aftermath. JFK assassination anniversary on November 22nd. Thanksgiving Day, there will be no show. There will be a rerun in our place. And on the 29th, 9-11, government, dis, dis, excuse me, government disinformation at its best. And then December, we start December 1st with the changing face of comedy with my dear friend, producer, director, and writer of The Golden Girls, Mark Sotkin, also wrote and produced Laverne and Shirley, among a plethora of television programs. He's a good friend of mine, good friend of the show, and he'll be with us. And I'll tell you what, that's just a partial list of what we got going on. We've got shows like MK Ultra, Time Travel Possible, uh, Gun Violence, where are all the guns coming from? Um, the question of angels, are they real? Do they exist? The origins of coronavirus, we're going to go there. A lot of people said, don't do it, don't go there. Fuck you, we're doing it. I'm going there. Um, that's just a, uh, a sampling of what we got coming up. So I'll tell you what, Melissa, the Arctic Wolf Black. Hell of a, a, hell of a show tonight. Good, good maiden voyage for you. I think you've done well. I think you've done you. well. I'm proud of you, kid. Um, for Melissa, I am the Mad Dog, Angelo DeCipio. Join us tomorrow night for part two, I'm sorry, part three of Amy Carlson and Love Has Won. And again, every Tuesday, every Thursday, 7 p.m., worldwide and coast to coast. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.